0: To learn more about code, visit codehealth.com, that's K O D E health.com, or email code directly at partnerships at codehealth.com. Hello, and welcome to Voices in Healthcare Finance. I'm Erica Grotto. Today's episode is one you'll want to hear because it's all about cash how to get it, how to keep it, and how to use it most effectively. Coming up, I'll be talking with Vincent Wallen and Richard Walker of BDO Consulting about cash and the revenue cycle. But first, let's find out what's happening in the news.
1: Hello, this is Rich Daly, a senior writer and editor for HFMA.
2: And this is Todd Nelson, health policy director for HFMA.
1: Thanks for joining us on Beyond the News, the segment of the podcast where we take a quick peek at the significance of recent healthcare finance news developments. Up this week, a federal court recently upheld CMS's final rule that requires hospitals to publicly disclose the prices they charge, as well as their specific payment rates with third-party payers. The new requirements are scheduled to go into effect on January 1st, 2021. So, Todd, what's the significance of this decision for hospital finance leaders?
2: Um, You know, thanks, Rich. I I think the significance for finance uh, leaders is that You know, they've been thinking about price transparency for a while. HFMA's put out a lot of different guidance on price transparency that's meaningful. And I think a lot of folks thought that this maybe wasn't going to be upheld, that the challenges would um, remove some of the barriers or change it or just strike it as all. So the significance is folks need to get ready and continue moving forward as if it's going to happen in January. So,
1: and since it is increasingly likely that these new requirements will go into effect, are there any models for how they can meet these requirements and how much time generally does it take for them to implement the changes?
2: You know, a lot of organizations had been taking sort of a wait and see approach. And frankly, with the pandemic consuming, you know, all of the clinical and many times financial and operational resources to deal with this, as well as IT, You know, folks really hadn't devoted time to this. And so a lot of people are just in the stages of that. Oh, it's really going to happen. And so not sure what what the time involved is. Uh, Some have chosen to work with um, their EHR um, vendor or partner to try to meet these rules. And others are looking at a homegrown process. But I would say that the majority of folks are early stage in preparing for this. So it, it's really hard to get a sense of the time involved to to meet the rule.
1: And uh, are you aware of any hospitals or health systems that have been able to actually fulfill these requirements up to this point? And if so, did it pr- prove very costly for them?
2: I mean, there, there's a couple different schools of thought. There are some that are taking, uh, again, this wait and see approach, um, looking at the penalties of, uh, I think it's $300 per day to determine if the cost of meeting this is going to be greater than the lift and the bandwidth to to try to meet the rule. You know, is the juice worth the squeeze to some extent? Others have moved forward with price transparency um, and trying to meet the letter of the rule, but have taken it further. So I'm not sure anybody's got a sense of what the cost is. It's more that it's the right thing to do. So they're looking at some of the basic requirements of this and then trying to meet it by joining information on out-of-pocket costs to patients, which is meaningful price transparency, and marrying that with quality and safety information, which is what the HFMA pricing transparency principles are all about, is providing meaningful um, and useful information. The rule doesn't go that far. It just requires another set of data to go out there for folks. And so those that have moved forward have really tried to follow the HFMA principles, which, I, you know, obviously we, we support and we think is great. And of course,
1: those can be found on the uh, HFMA homepage at www.hfma.org. Well, thanks a lot for the insights, Todd, on this fast-moving and multifaceted uh, challenge for hospitals. And uh, thanks for uh, joining us today.
2: You're welcome, Rich. Thanks for having me.
1: Of course, you can also keep up with the latest legal and policy developments related to the the new pricing rule on our daily news site at hfma.org forward slash news. Thanks for listening.
3: How do you benchmark your revenue cycle performance? Many organizations measure success compared to past performance. Others leverage software to benchmark against other facilities that share the same technology. But that only paints part of the picture. What about comparing your performance to your peers? Peers that you define in custom peer groups. MapApp is the online benchmarking tool from HFMA that helps organizations compare their performance against data from more than 600 facilities. Interested in taking the next steps to identify your revenue cycle opportunities? Visit hfma.org forward slash MapApp.
0: You've heard the phrase before, and you know it's true, cash is king. And right now, it seems like that king is ever more elusive. So when Vincent Wallen and Richard Walker of BDO Consulting agreed to come on and talk about how provider organizations can get cash and keep cash, I was excited to hear what they had to say. The first voice you'll hear after mine is Vincent Wallen. Listeners of this podcast know very well by now that the patient financial experience is something I'll talk about all day long, but healthcare is a business and healthcare organizations need to have cash coming in. There are a lot of tactics to encourage patients to pay, but you say it goes deeper than that and that we should be looking at the entire revenue cycle. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: From a revenue cycle department, uh, we want to make sure that we're looking at new ways of going back to the patients to help them figure out ways to uh, pay their bills. Right. I mean, it's not that that they don't want to pay their bills. I would say a vast majority of, of individuals and patients want to pay their bills. It's just uh, sometimes those are areas where, especially if you're uh, unemployed, uh, you're wanting to keep a roof over your head. You're wanting to put food on the table and, uh, those take priority. And if you have a limited amount of resources, having to prioritize things, um becomes a fact of life. And so helping them to figure out, okay, let's work with you to come up with ways, innovative ways, new ways of doing things around paying your, your medical bills. Um, that's what you need to do and you need to work through that.
4: Some of the things that the revenue cycle team at the hospitals ought to be doing one is to really take advantage of the telehealth, right? There's so much talk about telehealth today. They really got to make sure that they are taking advantage of those telehealth offerings um, across all the points of service throughout the hospital, right? So it's not just doctors' offices. Um, you know, automation is going to be a big thing for the hospitals. I know hospitals are, are cash-strapped and are not willing to make any heavy investment in technology at this time, but it's becoming, the research is showing that it's becoming imperative to have some level of automation to drive cash flow and maintain services at a lower cost. And it goes from everything from the patient access, from your admitting office, you got to be able to verify eligibility, uh, be able to communicate with patients way before they get the service to make sure that You know, insurance is going to cover for it. Patients, uh, where, what they need to pay before they get to the hospital. And if possible, arrange payments. Uh, you don't want to surprise patients with unnecessary high bills anymore. You got to make sure they're very comfortable before getting that service provided. And there are so many tools that automate this entire process for them. One of the things that is becoming important for revenue cycle Going forward is really the collaboration with the payers. You know, I think the commercial payers are more than willing, given the environment, to amend some of the stringent restrictions they have. Uh, you gotta send all your bills, you know, unnecessary, timely filing. They're looking to waive some of those things. But these things are not gonna be forever, right? Everybody understands what's going on, the challenges, and are willing to cooperate with the hospitals. But more than ever, to make sure that denials are not excessive, hospitals and physician offices have to maintain a relationship with their payers. Very important to explore all options to accelerate payment cycles. Right? You don't want insurance companies to be holding, denying claims, and holding payment. You got to maintain those relationships either at the local level, corporate level, to make sure that. Your payments are coming in timely for you. You got to make sure that you you have a mechanism to always look at your payer mix changes and react aggressively to those payer mix changes.
0: Richard, you mentioned a few moments ago that hospitals are cash strapped, which is truer now than ever. And when we think about the income loss so far during the pandemic and the potential for more loss uh, should future waves come, we really want to be thinking about our cash management strategy. So, what are some ways that healthcare organizations can preserve the cash they have and make sure they have access to what they need?
4: Obviously, um, hospital leadership teams are aware of this. They delay non strategic non-priority capital projects, right? Uh, Unless, obviously, it's going to impact immediate patient care. But then with all of that, this ROI needs to, that's the value to whatever capital expenditures they have at this point. All those are being delayed, particularly with the talk about a second wave. Within the winter, I suspect all the delays, uh, the suspension of uh, non-strategic, non-priority capital projects, those need to be waived. I also think that um, we talked a little bit about relationship with payers, right? And so are your, uh, your lenders as well. We need to figure a way for ensuring that um, some level of liquidity, right? So lines of credit with your lenders, right? You go from 60, 90 days, whatever else you need. To be able to uh uh, get enough credit to be able to sustain yourself to conserve cash we talked about negotiating with your vendors as well and your contractors your accounts payable cycle if you can develop relationships uh, to change them from 30 to 45 maybe even 60 days it all depends on the relationships you have current existing relationships and probably Even, you know, your credit worthiness will require you to go out there and extend your account's payable cycle. That would be very helpful.
3: Yeah, and just to build off of what Richard was saying, one other aspect that I think, you know, a lot of facilities have received their Medicare CMS stimulus funding, which is great, you know, for those that are... Uh, struggling and, and, really need that, that cash, um, getting the advanced funding and, and other forms of stimulus funding, uh, have been great. What I would caution those that, that receive those funds, which have been, you know, majority of providers is that, you know, at some point, two things. One, you're going to have to justify how you spent that money. So make sure that you are spending it in accordance with the terms and conditions in each. Stimulus funding uh, has its own terms and conditions, but make sure you're complying with how you're spending that because when, uh, and it's not if, but when the audits come about to see how those monies were spent, uh, they're going to be looking to see that they were spent in accordance with those terms and conditions. And if they were not, you know, then there's going to be a payback. So that, you know, from a cash flow position is is not, uh, you know, it's not going to be good. The second thing, though, is also to keep in mind, if possible, try to set aside any monies that you receive from the stimulus funding. If you can, set those aside for a uh, rainy day, as it were. If you don't need to use it, don't. And I I, I would just say if if you can get by without having to use those funds, clearly if you do, use them, but if you don't, set them aside because with the advanced funding what's going to happen is at the end of the period for which you receive the um, as part of the terms and conditions you're going to have to pay that back right these are advanced fundings these are not grants these are advanced fundings and when you uh as i said at the end of that period cms is going to start recapturing those funds in the forms of claim submissions and so when An organization submits a claim for payment. CMS is going to offset that claim against some of the advanced fundings that were received and you know, it'll pay down and affect what is a liability to CMS. So that that those claims will go towards paying that down, but keep in mind the organization will not be getting any cash for those claims um, during that period. So from a cash flow perspective. You know, that's going to be a bit of a, a challenge in that you're not going to have any cash flow coming in during that period. So, you know, the theory is that, well, the volume will be back up and it will help offset some of the negative cash flow from paying this back. But, you know, if if the recovery doesn't happen as quickly as uh, what was projected, you know, that's going to end up creating another cash flow challenge.
0: Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. If you liked hearing from Venson Wallen, check out his session on Starkwallen and anti-kickback statutes from our digital annual conference. That presentation took place June 24th and is posted on our website for you to view on demand. And don't forget to sign up for the next round of Conference Days. It's included in your membership, so there's no reason not to. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And if you like what you're hearing, share an episode with a friend or colleague. Have a great Fourth of July holiday. I hope you found a way to enjoy it safely. And if you have any questions or ideas about what you'd like to hear on our podcast, you can reach out to our team at podcast at That's better.